0: I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter six. We're gonna be in verses one through 11 this morning. So I wanna talk to you this morning about the rhythm of creation. There is a rhythm of of our lives. There is a rhythm to the way the world functions. And we see that rhythm established uh, right there in in the beginning uh, where we have six days of rest and uh, six days of work and one day of rest. God establishes the rhythm of creation uh, and that theme is carried through the scriptures Um, we see that it's prescribed to god's people uh, but it's a rhythm of sevens we have the the seventh day is a rest from work the seventh year is a year where debts are canceled and slaves are set free and the land rests and and then we have the seven of sevens the, the 49th year is a year of jubilee where where uh, the land goes back to its owners, debts are canceled once again, uh, the land rests for an entire year. And all of that is meant to be a shadow of the ultimate rhythm that we see in the universe that God has created. We work and then we rest. There's a long period of work and then a period of rest. And, And the rest that we have at the end of this ultimate rhythm is the rest that we have with God, the rest we have with the Lord where we are free, where we are unencumbered. Uh, and that, that rhythm is going to show up deep in our passage today, and we're going to find the focus of that rhythm. So, so far in Luke, uh, Jesus has been born, he's been baptized, he's begun his ministry, he's in the process of revealing who he is, he does this in a spectacular way, frequently, um, that process is accompanied by signs and wonders uh, and uh, I did a devotion on this this week. Um, you know, we're, we're always a little bit of a quandary as to decide whether or not the signs and wonders that we see in the Gospels in the New Testament are uh, prescriptive. Are they supposed to be part of our Christian walk or are they descriptive of a particular time in history? And it's not an easy question to answer. Uh, I do find that people that find all of the signs and wonders to be descriptive of a time in history are fairly objective about it, but people that believe that they're prescriptive are kind of, they pick and choose which parts are prescriptive. So if we are to assume that all of the signs and wonders are prescriptive of our Christian walk, then we also have to assume that all of the other things that Jesus and the disciples did are prescriptive of our Christian walk. So we have to assume that we're all called to suffer. We have to assume that we're all called to be martyred in some fashion, perhaps nailed to a cross. So we have to be careful how we approach these things. And there are a lot of different viewpoints, and i got to be honest with it, a lot of them are valid. And it's okay where you fall on that. I just think we need to be careful how we read Scripture. So Jesus establishes his credentials, by doing signs and wonders, by doing things that only God can do. So last week we saw Jesus calling his disciples. We saw Peter and Levi change. Uh, We saw a paralytic and a leper be transformed. Uh, Everybody who has an encounter with Jesus Christ goes through some sort of change. And so we find that to be true of everyone. Some of the changes are for good. Some of the changes are maybe not so good. Uh, so that led to the question of uh, whether or not we are being changed. And if we have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, if he is our Lord and Savior, we are indeed then being transformed, the, which leads to another question are we aware? Are we aware of the transformation? And what are we doing to cooperate with that transformation? So soon our lives we will begin to change again. We're going through a period of transformation right now. We'll go through another transformation when all this comes to an end and we're able to be out and about again freely. Uh, So what will we do about that? How will we absorb that? So even as we process that, one of the questions we should be asking right now is this, is Jesus Lord of our lives? If he is Lord of our lives, Exactly what does that mean? Is Jesus your Lord? We know that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And that's actually the title of our sermon today, Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, is part 12 in our ongoing series in Luke, God's Love for Everyone. And so Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. But what does that mean? And we're going to find out in today's passages. And Jesus will demonstrate that he's Lord of the Sabbath in two spectacular ways. He will show us that he is Lord over that day, over the Sabbath, in verses 1 through 5. And then he'll show that he's Lord over disease in verses 6 through 11. So let's take a look at the passage that talks about Jesus being Lord over the day. Starts with verse 1. On a Sabbath, um, Luke is not particular. He's not trying to get us anchored into details. He's trying to make a point. On a Sabbath... While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Now, travelers were allowed to do this. This was dictated in Deuteronomy 23. Landowner had to leave some stuff for people who were poor and people who were travelers. So they're just doing what they've been allowed to do for almost 2,000 years. But it's on a Sabbath. So on verse 2, we see, But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, according to their understanding of the Sabbath, these disciples had just committed four infractions against their known guidelines for the Sabbath. They were reaping. They were picking the the leaves of grain. They were threshing, rubbing the grain to get get the edible portion out. They were dropping the husks which would be winnowing, and they were eating, which would, under their guidelines, would mean that they had prepared a meal for themselves. And all these things were prohibited on the Sabbath. How, would, how, how did they get here? Where, where did all these rules come from? Well, let me give you a short history of the Sabbath. I, I think it, it, it's very pertinent to how we understand this passage. So the concept of the Sabbath shows up in Genesis 1 and 2. We talked about that. Six days of creation, one day of rest. The book of Exodus clarifies that that seventh day is Saturday. Okay? And it also clarifies that that day is holy, it's blessed, it should be remembered, it should be observed and kept as holy. It belongs to the Lord. The focus of the day is on the Lord and it requires abstinence from all the people from work, and from, uh, and from the pleasures of life, and matter of fact, Exodus makes it clear that it applies to Jews and Gentiles, and even applies to the animals. And so Exodus 20 uh, says that this is commanded by the Lord uh, so that people should rely on God and not their own capabilities. In other words, they prepare for this day, but that is a day that they rely on God. Uh, and not their work and their knowledge and so on and so forth. It's focused totally on the Lord. Exodus 34 uh, says that the observance of the Sabbath never ceases. It is perpetual. There's a penalty involved in not observing it. It can be death. Leviticus 16 reiterates that we are to rest on the Sabbath in an attitude of humility towards God, and that it is a permanent covenant. Leviticus 23 says that it's a, they, they are to form a holy convocation. Now, this is where we get the idea of church. Now, ours is on Sunday. The originally, it was on Saturday. It's not the particular day that is concerned. It's the focus of the day. So, a holy convocation is a holy assembly. And in the community, it would be the whole community would come together. Indeed, for the Jews, it was the whole nation would observe the Sabbath. They would do it as one person. There's a tremendous sense of community and oneness there. And so um, they were to keep it from evening to evening. It was a 24-hour period. And they were, it, it applied to the land as well. So we weren't supposed to work the land. They, they, they were, everything was supposed to have a rest. So 2 Kings chapter 4 says that there's no restriction on travel. There were some restrictions on travel. There were no restrictions on travel if you were traveling to see a man of God. If you had to travel to be with the worshiping community, that was okay. Second Kings 16 says that the Sabbath is a covered way. It means that it's a protection. The observance of the Sabbath was a protection upon God's people. First Chronicle prescribes bread to be served during the sabbath second chronicle prescribes celebration and sacrifice so we have all these things going on on the sabbath but by the time we get to the book of amos in chapter 8 verse 5 amos warns the israel israel that they have neglected the sabbath a matter of fact they're all in a hurry to get through the sabbath so commerce can begin again they got their eyes set on their businesses more than they do on honoring God on that particular day. And so Isaiah 58 reiterates that Sabbath is a voluntary abstinence from personal pleasures in order to follow and acknowledge God's will. So all of that is good and fine. And all that is set up in the Old Testament. All of that is inspired. So we have to pay very close attention to it god is the focus of what the jews called shabbat and the entire week leads up to that day the week goes hurtling towards shabbat at a time when they can rest in each other's presence and in the presence of god and honor him for the abundance that they have been blessed with throughout the week then we have the intertestamental books now these are called the apocrypha the apocrypha books are are not inspired Uh, but they are useful. There are some useful truths in them, not inspired by God, but we find out that a lot of the traditions on how they uh, observed the Sabbath in the first century in Jesus' time come from the Apocrypha. And we find out that there can be no more travel than 1,000 cubits, somewhere around 2,000 feet or so. There are limits on drinking. There are limits on drawing water. The women cannot wear perfume. Nobody can open a sealed container. Are, you, know, you can't assist an animal in childbirth or assist an animal that has fallen out of a hole. There's no intimacy allowed, there's no plowing, there's, there's no starting a fire, there's no riding an animal, there's no killing anything, and there's no making war. Now, that proved to be problematic as they tried to observe that because for a number of major attacks against the Jewish people, they didn't feel they could defend themselves on, Sunday, on Shabbat, on Saturday. And so the enemies learned to attack on Saturday. Uh, so they, they, had to, they had to make some adjustments on that one right there. So the reason I wanted to tell you all this is because I, I think we need to understand where the Pharisees and the scribes were on this Shabbat in the first century, where all these things came from. Uh, the Sabbath was embedded in Jewish culture. They identified uh, completely with it. And, and as, as I said, the week hurtled towards Shabbat. And, and they observed it as a community. Everything came to a halt. And I'll tell you something. Uh, Kelly and I had the opportunity to go to Israel in 2006. And we were in Jerusalem for the first Shabbat. And we didn't know what was happening. We, they put us on a bus and they took us out to the city limits early in the morning, we left a bustling city. Uh, when we came back, uh, it was like a ghost town. There was nobody on the streets, there, it, it was incredible, and w- everybody in the bus was like, what's going on? And the bus coach said, it's Shabbat, and this is a time when we don't travel, when we don't do work. Uh, there were some interesting things were going on in the hotel, we'll tell you about that sometime. But we, we had an opportunity to experience how important Shabbat was to the Jews, even to the secular Jews. So it was intended to honor God. Uh, It it, it was a great thing. The problem is, over time, they had come up with laws to refine it and to improve upon it. And none of those laws were, were inspired. Traditions were implemented. Everybody knew they were traditions at first. But over the intertestamental period, that four or 500 year time between the end of the Old Testament and beginning of the New Testament, the traditions had become law. And they, they lost sight of the whole point of Shabbat. It became about meticulously following all of these rules, sometimes painfully following all these rules. And, and so Jesus is about to teach these, these scribes and Pharisees a rule on uh, compassion in following rules. He's about to show that, demonstrate to them what the rules are for and why they've been implemented and how they have to be implemented with mercy and compassion. And by the first century, the scribes and the Pharisees had no mercy and compassion in what they were doing. So, the disciples are violating all of these rules and they're eating on the Sabbath and and the Pharisees want to know why Jesus is letting them do this. And in verse 3, Jesus answers them. Have you not read what David, David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence. Now, this is the bread of the presence of God. It represented the presence of God. It was called the showbread. So how they ate the bread of the presence, David and his men which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Now, this is out of 1 Samuel 21. David is running from Saul, and he and his men go to Nob and confront the priest, and they're hungry, they're warriors, they need to have sustenance. And so David asks them for some food. The priest says, I don't have any food but the holy bread. And then the priest gives them the holy bread. And what the priest understood, the same thing David understood, was that the physical needs of the men of David should not be subjected to some form of barren legalism just for the sake of legalism. Jesus shows the scribes and the Pharisees in this little anecdote about David that the law is to be applied with mercy and compassion. And the problem was the scribes and Pharisees had no room for mercy and compassion. Their interpretation of the law negated that. And even even as they're challenged on their concept of how to apply the law, Jesus has another challenge for them. It's in verse 5. And he said to them, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, Jesus, is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, if I can paraphrase, is if David could override the law and be blameless, how much more could the son of David do? Now he's making a a covert claim to being the Messiah. To being the one who will sit on the throne. David's throne, if he's the son of David, he has a right to David's throne. And Jesus is saying, the disciples are with me. They need food. And Jesus regarded the disciples' need for sustenance more than he regarded this refined and improved version of the law. And Jesus exhibits mercy. Now, Jesus knows that obedience to the law is a good thing. But he also knows that God's law is intended to bring God's people closer to God, not to control them. See, and that's what had happened with the religious leaders in the first century. They were using the law to control people, not to encourage them to come closer to God. So Jesus makes his bold statement. He's Lord over the day. Now, they could have stoned him for that, except for what he does immediately afterwards. Remember, Luke is establishing Jesus' credentials here. So, and and what he does to back up his claim of being Lord over the Sabbath is he shows that he's Lord over disease as well. That starts in verse 6. On another, another Sabbath, again, no date, no location, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now, the description of the right hand being withered here would describe a a dead plant, uh, perhaps a weathered piece of wood. Uh, This man's hand is worthless. He can't use it for anything. And typical Luke detail, he says it's his right hand. Luke, the great physician, Luke always brings more detail to to his anecdotes. And so there's a, a man there in the synagogue with a withered hand. And in verse seven, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him They're watching Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. They know he can heal. They've heard about the healings and the signs and the wonders, so they're watching Jesus to see what he does. So, now there's uh, they weren't totally without compassion. If we take a look at the Mishnah, uh, the Mishnah, which was a commentary, running commentary on on the scriptures. The Mishnah said that if there is a life in danger, that the danger to the life overrules the rules of the Sabbath. Okay? But this man's not in any danger. He he lived his entire life with his weathered hand. So there's no immediate danger to the man dying. It's an existing condition. And treating him on the Sabbath would be a violation of the rules they've established. So the spiritual leaders... Just by the way they're watching Jesus, we can see that they're more interested in catching Jesus in some fault than they are in the welfare of this man. If they were interested in the welfare of the man, they would be eager to see Jesus do something. But that's not what they're after. They're after catching Jesus so they can accuse him of something. And then we have this phrase in verse 8. And this one, this is a toughie. But he knew their thoughts. Now that shows up several times in the gospels and as much as a comfort as that gives us that can also cause us concern have you ever thought that jesus might know your thoughts <laughs> and even as you think that you're, you're you know are you in well, holy spirit is that true okay uh, i mean we hear that jesus knows what's in the heart of men he knows what's in our minds and we should understand that to be true because we're one with him because the spirit dwells inside us and so Jesus doesn't know our thoughts to condemn us because there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. He knows our thoughts to, to refine us, to draw us closer to the Father. And as we have thoughts that are inappropriate, uh, the remedy for those is to repent, to go on our knees and say, forgive me, Father, help me, help me. But Jesus knows what these scribes and Pharisees are thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. Now, the phrasing means that Jesus said, come and stand near me. Jesus calls the man towards himself. And, and the guy does it. And he stands there. And, and then Jesus said to them, so Jesus is, calls the guy, and he turns to the scribes and Pharisees, and he says this, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to, or to destroy it? Now, take a look at those phrases. There's no in-between. There's, there's no medium here. There's no middle ground. There's no, okay, I know you have these rules on the Sabbath. I'll come back tomorrow and take care of this guy. Jesus has the ability to change a man's life. He has the capability to do some good and to, do, to, to refuse to do good uh, over the traditional interpretation of the law would be the same as killing the man. So this is a sobering moment for the scribes and Pharisees. And then after looking around at them all, they're sitting there and he's asked them this question and they have no answer. It's like, well, this is a tough one because we know we're supposed to do good, but we know the things you're not allowed to do on the Shabbat. So he waits and they have no answer. And he says to them, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. I have no idea what that moment was like. I I can imagine the synagogue is quiet. Everybody's waiting to see what Jesus does The guy with the withered hand is there. It's been withered all of his life, and all he does is stretch out his hand, and all of a sudden, there's new flesh. It works. The muscles are working. It was withered. It was atrophied. It was useless. And the man now has a hand. And that's not the only change that the man goes through. Because of the withered hand, he would have been considered cursed by the Jews that somehow... He or his parents or somebody in his bloodline had committed some infraction against God and it was showing up in this man. So not only would he be considered cursed, but he wouldn't be able to work. He wouldn't be able to sit and eat with his family. He was probably a beggar out on the streets. And now he's restored. So Jesus not only heals the hand, but he gives the man a new life. How do the Pharisees react to this? Verse 11. Look at this. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. The only concern they have is how they can trap Jesus. It's as if they have no way of knowing what's right and what's wrong. You just asked them. They can't see because of their blind obedience that the manufactured law that they were observing has also blinded them from seeing the good that Jesus was doing. So, Jesus has just demonstrated his lordship over the Sabbath uh, by healing the man with a withered hand, by doing what only God can do, by transforming, by regenerating, by making new, by giving new life. He's got these incredible blessings. And he's proclaimed his lordship over the day. He's made it clear that the law is to bring God's people closer to God, not to control them. The law is for the benefit of God's people, not for their condemnation. And that the law should be infused with mercy and with compassion. And he's done the same thing over the disease. He not only healed the man, he gave him new life. But there's There's something else here that I believe Luke wants us to see. I think there's a deeper, a more profound truth that he wants to teach us. We'll go back to the rhythm of creation and how that rhythm was created in the Hebrew week and the way the week was structured, where every day hurdles towards Shabbat. You see, when God created the world, and spoke everything into existence on the first six days, and then rested on the seventh, there was no indication that he wasn't God over the first six days. I mean, everything we read proves that he was. So he's God over the six days and God over the rest as well. And when Jesus says that he's Lord over Shabbat, he's saying, I'm Lord over your entire week. I'm the God who created everything. I'm not a God that just comes out to play on Sunday. I'm a God that is with you every minute of every day of every week. And I'm the Lord over that as well. And I've given you this one day out of the week to celebrate your relationship with me, to put your focus on me, to take it totally off yourself and put it on me. He's not just Lord of Sundays. He's Lord of the entire week. And for us, our entire week should hurtle towards the day that we worship him together. And if, if we understand that, then we understand that that day is just a shadow of the end of time where we will be with him in rest and peace without encumberment, free forever. When all our work is done, we will rest in him for all eternity. So I ask you, is Jesus your Lord? Is he your Lord on Monday morning as much as he is on Sunday morning? You see, that was the question Jesus was asking the scribes and Pharisees. Is this just about Sunday, or is this about a way of life? Is this just about you observing the rules or is this about you being transformed? It's the same question he would ask us. And God has graciously given us this time to consider our answer to that question. Our lives are going to change again sometime real soon. What will they change into? What will we do with the time that we have? Will we spend it focused upon him Or will we go back to doing things the way we always have? Brothers and sisters, don't waste the COVID virus. This is a time for us to turn towards the Lord and examine our hearts and show the world what a relationship with him looks like. Let's pray and then we're going to take communion. Father, we we thank you uh, for Shabbat. We thank you for those faithful Jews that observed it father so that we could have the pattern here with us today and lord we pray that we would learn from the mistakes that they made but still hold them up as an example of of spending the day looking towards you we pray your spirit would move among us draw us unto you father teach us the lessons we need to learn that when we pick up our regular schedules and move forward we might walk in a manner worthy of our calling Amen.